For BYU-Idaho Radio, I'm Celeste Simmons. I'm here today with Jeffrey Thane, a professor here at BYU-Idaho for the psychology department. Thank you so much for meeting with me today, Brother Thane. Thank you for having me. So how about you tell me a little bit about your background as a professor and what led you here to BYU-Idaho? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I received a bachelor's degree in psychology from BYU-Provo as well as a master's degree. I then went on to get a doctorate in instructional technology and the learning sciences basically exploring how to use technology to improve learning in the classroom. Um, after that, I worked for a while in the state of Washington in an education research think tank, and then I applied here to BYU-Idaho. And ultimately, I, um, I have three—I tell my students I have three main passions in life. The first is the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping people understand and live the gospel better. And the second is psychology and the study of the mind. And the third is teaching and learning and the improvement of education. And so to me, this means that there's really no better place for me than to teach psychology in a classroom where I can bring the gospel into the content matter. I love that. There's something amazing about BYU-Idaho is that integration of uh, religion and obviously education and seeing how those two come together. It's very interesting. It's, It's wonderful. I love it. Yeah. And why psychology? Why did you choose to study psychology and become a professor in psychology? What is so interesting about it to you? Yeah, absolutely. I I went into psychology originally because I wanted to understand how people learn and how to improve systems of learning. And I figured that understanding how people think is the first step in that process. Um, As I first started studying psychology, though, I realized how thoroughly the discipline is saturated with unstated philosophical worldviews and assumptions. And these worldviews have a deep impact on our broader culture. And you might say that I now study psychology in part because I see it as a way to help us better understand the gospel and how to live the gospel more fully in our lives. How interesting. And you told me earlier that you're writing a book. Can you tell me about your book and and what your book is all about? Absolutely. I'm I'm currently writing a book on worldviews and it's close to completion. Um, It explores some of the cultural meta-narratives. And by meta-narratives, I mean the stories behind the stories that influence how we understand ourselves in our lives. For example, in the book, I talk about expressive individualism as one of these worldview stories. This is a worldview that treats personal authenticity and self-expression as our chief aspiration, our chief goal. In every every story, there is a conflict. And in the expressive individualist story, the self is in conflict with the community. Community norms might interfere with the individual's quest for self-expression and personal authenticity. In expressive individualist stories, victory for the protagonist comes as they express themselves over and against the norms of their community and eventually remake community norms to be more accommodating of individual differences. Um, In the current draft of the book, I'm having a lot of fun using popular culture to illustrate some of these worldviews. Um, It's fascinating, for example, how... Many current Hollywood productions aimed at children tell an expressive individualist story. Um, examples include Mulan, The Little Mermaid, Mitchell's Versus the Machines, Zootopia, Cars 3, Wreck-It Ralph, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, Space Jam 2, The Lego Movie, Kung Fu Panda, I can go on and on. Um, in every one of these stories, victory is achieved when the protagonist learns to just be themselves. Um, and it's hard these days to find examples of movies that don't tell that story. Um, the, the first Cars movie from Pixar is actually one example where this isn't the case. 
is not a story of an individual learning how to express themselves or how to be themselves like so many of the others. It's a story about a self-centered narcissist who learns compassion and empathy for others. It's a story of an individual who has set aside some of the worst aspects of himself to become someone different, to become transformed. And ultimately, I think this is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about, transformation, um, seeking redemption through repentance and becoming better people. Um, sometimes it's easy to lose sight of this in face of all the expressive individualist messaging that saturates modern culture. And certainly being ourselves is not inherently bad, but if the pursuit of self-expression and personal authenticity comes to supplant or replace the central gospel purpose of personal transformation through Christ and covenant living, then it becomes a problem. Our goal is to emulate Christ and to unite around shared truths and ideals and to set aside whatever desires we have for ourselves that interfere with that project of becoming like God in character and virtue. In the book, I also explore other worldviews, such as consumerism, which supplants the same gospel purpose of transformation with the aspiration for material comfort and luxurious living. Um, if we have inadvertently embraced consumerism, we might certainly live the gospel in many ways, but always within the constraints that it should never interfere with our material comfort and the leisurely enjoyment of life. Um, other examples include therapeutic humanism, which suppl supplants that same gospel purpose with personal fulfillment and personal satisfaction. Very interesting. This idea of expressive individualism that you touched on and you are in the process um, of doing a lot of research on this concept of finding ourselves, right? Yes. Everyone's trying to find themselves. Who am I? You know, what do I believe? Who who am I as a person here on earth? Um, and you have an interesting theory about it that has to do with psychology and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you kind of briefly explain what your research is about in regards to finding yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um what I, was, what I would say is that uh, I'm exploring and contrasting, for example, this expressive individualist worldview and some of the norms and practices um, of expressive individualism with what I believe to be a more gospel-centered and more gospel-focused worldview. Uh, as far as um, a theory is concerned, it's more trying to understand and tease out the influence of these worldviews in psychology and showing how these worldviews have influenced our broader culture and contrasting them with what I see in the message from living prophets and apostles and in scripture. Um, so for example, I would say that many that these worldviews like expressive individualism shape our understanding of things like truth, identity, love, and belonging. And when you reached out to me, you specifically asked about identity as an example, right? Um, uh, Expressive, again, expressive individualism is a worldview that prioritizes self-expression and personal authenticity, and it comes prepackaged with assumptions about what it means to be me. For example, to be true to myself in this worldview requires that I look inside myself and consult my preferences and my desires. To be truly authentic, I must live my life in congruence with my innermost desires, even at the cost of my most important commitments and relationships. Um, Many assume that this is the only understanding of identity, but it's only actually one of among alternatives. For example, in other worldviews, my identity is not found in the fact that I love science fiction or any of my other tastes and preferences. My identity is found in the fact that I am a Thane, a member of a broader family lineage and heritage, that I am a husband to my wife and a father to my children, 
We find ourselves by integrating into communities and by living up to our most sacred responsibilities and commitments. My identity, in other words, is found in that shared space between myself and others. And there are actually many psychologists who are coming around to this point of view, and they argue that that our taste and preferences are actually they don't stem forth from some inner wellspring of personality and preference, but are actually deeply influenced by the communities that we integrate with. Um, I often think of the scene from The Lion King, when Mufasa tells his son Simba, you know, um, coming back as a spirit. Remember who you are. He wasn't telling Simba to consult his inner desires and preferences, to express himself. He was telling Simba to remember his responsibilities, responsibilities that Simba did not necessarily choose for himself, but for which Simba is still personally accountable. He was inviting Simba to set aside himself and his own preferences and to live up to those responsibilities. For Simba to stay out in the wilderness, forsaking those responsibilities in pursuit of himself, would actually be to betray those truest, his truest and most important identity as king of the Pride Lands. I believe this is in part what President Nelson was, has recently talked about when he asked us to emphasize our identity as children of God, as children of the covenant, as disciples of the Savior, Jesus Christ. He was, like Mufasa, telling us to remember who we are. Um, these three identities are bound up in our covenant relationship with God and with Christ's church. To truly find ourselves, we need to understand these covenants and to seek to live by them, and when needed, to seek personal transformation through Christ. Our goal as disciples is to set aside the idle pursuits that distract us from him and the work of building Zion and gathering Israel. So... I'm going to pose an example to you, a situation. Absolutely. If a student came to you and said, you know, Professor Thane, I don't know who I am. I'm so confused. I don't understand my purpose or my role on this earth. What would you say to them? What would be the first step that you think they should take to better understand who they are? That's a great question. I think that there's an instinct that kind of comes from a broader culture to tell them to look inside, to consult their own desires and preferences. Who do you want to be? What do you want for your life? And I think this is very well-meaning. And in some cases, it could be very good and useful. But ultimately, what I would try to do with a student who came to me like this is to point them upwards, to say, to truly, to, I think to truly understand who you are and your place in this world, I think you need to look to God, to spend some time praying and fasting. To, I would probably tell them to put some distance between themselves and some of the noise and commotion of their life. To, for example, um, turn off their social media, to turn off their Netflix and other um, entertainment platforms, and, and to spend some time in quiet contemplation of the divine truths that they have learned through Scripture. To ponder those truths in their hearts. A little bit like Enoch, when in Enos, uh, in, uh, not Enoch, Enos, in Enos chapter 1, where he, um, he said that the words that my father had taught me, you know, sank deep into my heart because he had some time to contemplate those teachings, to contemplate what they meant for him. I think that truly to find ourselves and to find our place in the world, we have to turn to God. We have to look to a higher power. And we also have to turn to the covenants and commitments that, that we have made. If this person is married, for example, and had children, I might tell them to consider 
the way those responsibilities shape their identity and shape who they are as a person, and to always place those responsibilities front and center. Wow, thank you. I think that's some great advice that that we can all use because so oftentimes we forget who we are, what our role is, what our responsibilities are. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm currently reading a book called Wild. I don't know if you've heard of it. They also made a movie out of it. Um, but in the book, she's in a point in her life where she just feels super lost. And she decides that she's going to hike the Pacific Crest Trail to find herself, to go back to her roots and, and to realize and find who she is. What do you think about a concept like that, about going out into nature, you know, leaving all your family and friends behind and spending months on end alone to find yourself? What, what are your thoughts on that concept? That's a great question. I haven't read the book, so I don't exactly know what her strategy or approach is on all of this. Um, I would say that even the Savior went to the wilderness to fast and to pray. Um, for 40 days and 40 nights, if I remember right, but I could be remembering that wrong. Um, I believe that we should all take time to ourselves to, again, like I said before, distance ourselves from the humdrum of daily life and seek communion with God. And that, that through that communion with God, through that, that distance from some of, some of those distractions of life, we can recenter ourselves on our divine identity as his children and our responsibilities as covenant disciples of Christ. In other words, we should all find our sacred groves, places of quiet solitude, and we should spend time there, and sometimes lots of time. However, I would say that distancing ourselves from the distractions of life to commune with God is very different from seeking to find ourselves by distancing ourselves from our core responsibilities and relationships. If in this process of going out into the wilderness to, to, to hike the trails, I am putting distance between myself and those I love and care about, the, and my obligation, my central obligations and duties, then I'm probably not going to find myself so much as I am going to reinvent myself, and maybe not always in the best of ways. Um, in an expressive individualist worldview, though, this makes sense, because to find myself, I need to look inside to consult my tastes and preferences. And since my tastes and preferences can be unduly influenced by my various obligations and duties and constraints of day-to-day -day life, I might feel a need to escape from those constraints in order to truly learn about and express my own true desires. But I think in a gospel worldview, we sometimes need, do need to get out into the wilderness to away from the city lights, so to speak, in order to see the stars. I think this is a useful metaphor. To see those stars, that divine light of God, sometimes requires us to put some distance. But that, those, that divine light will always call us out of ourselves into a higher and holier way of being. Well, thank you so much, Brother Thane, for, for sharing all of this information with me and with the listeners today. I think it, it's a very interesting concept. And um, it is so true that when we kind of lose ourselves and our responsibilities and our roles and our callings, that's when we can truly find ourselves. So thank you so much and um, good luck on writing the book and let us know when it comes out so we can promote it and all of that. Um, but thank you so much for meeting with me today. Thank you so much, Celeste. It was a, it was a pleasure.